This is Bucks First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. I know we're all supposed to spend this week, every moment, every day, just listening to all the analysis from the Trump haters out there of how he incited an insurrection, how this was worse than 9-11, how if you if you don't agree with people who are exaggerating and in pure hysterics over the riot of January 6th, uh, you're complicit. You're a bad person. I don't want to do that. Instead, I want to talk to you about something that I think is a longer term and much more um, imminent issue for American politics because it's everywhere. It's all over and it's ruining our country every day. It's not a one off. It's not just a thing where you can point to a few bad actors. It's all over the place. And it it is wokeness. And you have now a a story in the Daily Mail that I, I found very interesting. And it is essentially telling us, well, here's the title. Out of control, woke leftism and cancel culture from the U.S. is a threat to France because it attacks the nation's heritage and identity, according to French politicians and intellectuals. Let me explain to you why I think this is so important. During the post 9-11 period known as the global war on terror, there were a handful of countries that were known as the main exporters of jihadism, which is the radical Islamic belief system at the heart of groups like Al Qaeda. Radical Islamic terrorists were operating in dozens of countries, but some of them, like Pakistan and Iran, were actively spreading their extremist ideology all over the world. And at the top of the list, the super spreader of hardcore Islamic terrorist ideology was, as I'm sure many of you will remember, our supposed ally, Saudi Arabia. 15 of the 19 9-11 hijackers from Saudi Arabia. Well, it seems to me that some in the Western world are starting to figure out that America is the Saudi Arabia of wokeness and cancel culture, spreading it all over the place. That's right. We are spreading wokeness and cancel culture to the furthest corners of the globe, from Austria to Australia. And some countries are recognizing that the inevitable result of this is going to be greater division, the undermining of these societies, and perhaps even pushing some of them closer to social dissolution and perhaps even revolution. Our college campuses, as we know here, have already infected the rest of American society with the ideological rot of identity politics, intersectionality, and political correctness. Words equals violence when they say, and violence in response to words, they'll justify somehow. These bad ideas are metastasizing around the globe, and at least some remaining outposts of Western civilization, France, as I mentioned in the piece by the Daily Mail, uh, realize that wokeness can ruin their societies too. My fellow Americans, this should be a wake-up call. France is hardly a stranger to radical politics, quite the opposite, as I'm sure you know. If anyone tries to make a Frenchman work a minute more than 35 hours a week or raises the price of croissant a few cents, all of a sudden there are armies of student demonstrators taking to the streets. I think you can make a strong argument that protesting is actually France's national sport going all the way back to 1789 or so, and you could ask Marie Antoinette how that one turned out. Not so good. 
But French intellectuals, elite institutions and politicians, including President Macron of France himself, have been calling on their countrymen to reject the wokeness ravaging American brains before it's too late. They see what will happen and they don't want it to happen in those countries. They understand that whatever levels of socialism and statism they're currently going through, having people turn on each other and having certain groups believe that they are in a constant uh, a constant struggle against all other groups. They must rewrite history. They must lie if they have to in order to make certain groups seem like they're still responsible for the evils of society. This kind of pointing to the other and attacking is just destructive. And the French realize it. Some of them do. I'm sure there are many who go along with this. We know there are. But this comes from our universities, as you know. There's a particular fear of what's on our campuses. The French education minister, Jean-Michel Blanquier, Blanquet, mais oui, uh, warned back in October of the need to wage battle against an intellectual matrix from American universities. The BLM protests all over Europe, for example, in the aftermath of George Floyd's death in Minnesota, were a strong indicator of how far and wide woke ideology has spread. Democrat social justice movements and memes are now global, and that means the divisive tactics and authoritarian impulses of the American left will undermine the foundations of liberal democracies all over the globe if unchecked. These ideas of wokeness come from our campuses. The notion that true liberty is found in the suppression of free speech, that that true freedom comes from others controlling you for the benefit of the collective, turning the American experiment at its foundation on its head. That really began on our college campuses. It goes back to the 1960s, and you could even trace it further back than that, the, the dawn of the progressive movement in America, which in many ways is just a heresy of the Marxism that ravaged Europe. But Marx is not dead and gone, really, friends. That's what you are seeing. You can call it cultural Marxism. You can call it woke authoritarianism. It's back. It's ascendant. It is here. It's the reason why social media companies are now actively censoring basically anyone who challenges the consensus. Right? Anyone who says things that are deemed too unpopular all of a sudden are shut down. And now we have a government in the Biden administration that's entirely willing to go along with this. We are in the greatest danger of true suppression of not just free speech but the true eradication of important of essential individual freedoms today than we've been in in my lifetime and there are people in this country who are not only cheering it on here but want this for the rest of the world whatever marxist and authoritarian elements are in europe or in australia or in other westernized countries they seek to make common cause with them and to force all these nations to bend the knee because of a history of colonialism or a history of global oppression or whatever it may be. Do you think the Chinese are doing any of this? Do you think they're, they're sitting around? No, in fact, increasingly you see that China is assertive in the greatness of its nationalism. China is going authoritarian in the other direction, not how 
awful the history of that country is, but how incredible it is and how the future belongs to China. Meanwhile, in America and in the West, we are decadent. We've become so comfortable, so wealthy, live lives of so much relative ease. Yes, even the underclass in our countries compared to what was the norm of generations past, leading incredibly bountiful, healthy and long lives. And so we lose this sense that we can lose all of this. Look at the Soviet Union. Look at what happened in the 20th century in Germany. Look at what happened in Russia. The countries that went through revolutions that, of course, had the greatest of, of ideals in some cases. I mean, France, of course, comes to mind back in the 1790s. But even the Soviet Revolution, they bring this up as right now. We all know how it ended and the Soviet Union was a totalitarian misery. Uh, but it was overtaken by this extreme authoritarian totalitarian ideology that enslaved essentially everybody who fell behind the Iron Curtain. You look at you look at what happened in, in Nazi Germany. It's often forgotten by people that Germany was until the First World War and thereafter really among the most sophisticated, intellectual and wealthy countries in the world at the time. But bad ideas made it a monster, right? Made it the great evil of the 20th century. And yet here we are now with some of the the roots of these ideas, whether we're talking about the Soviet Union, we're talking about Nazi Germany or, yes, in fact, talking about revolutionary France, the roots of some of these ideas coming back here in America in new form. That there is a constant war of some against the other within our society, intersectionality, that there are individuals who must be judged not by what they do and the content of their character and their own actions, but by the history of people who share their superficial characteristics. You will see how white Americans are constantly told, for example, that they have to uh, pay for the sins of ancestors that they may not have even had in this country. We've had a lot of people who are relatively new arrivals who are white, but it doesn't matter. Right? Identity politics isn't based in truth. It's based in emotion and the frenzy of the mob, whatever works when it has to work. So what some are, are seeing is that this Americanized version of woke authoritarianism or really the origins of woke authoritarianism start here and they now the tentacles have spread all over the world or are starting to and they don't want it well if they can recognize in countries with bigger government than ours with more with more controls on free speech already if if they can realize what a danger this is maybe we can too what we're seeing across the atlantic is what has become increasingly apparent here at home wokeness is a form of early stage totalitarianism Identity politics create hostility and volatility in modern societies like ours that are held together not by tribe, religion or skin color, but shared values, history and ideas. Once those are undermined at their very foundation, the social bonds needed to make a liberty based rule of law, nation state function come apart. And look, there's no guarantee of victory, even if we fight this battle right now. As you know, we have a new Biden administration. We have a Democrat party in America that has a lust for power that makes it embrace woke authoritarianism and poisonous identity politics. But when even our social cousins, if you will, in Paris uh, recognize 
that America is heading for cultural dissolution if it continues down at this wokeness path. It's long past time for those of us who still care about the American experiment to confront that destructive, dishonest and insane ideas that the left has mainstreamed. That's where we are. This is what we face now. A new administration that embraces all of this and a recognition that there can be no peace. There can be no live and let live with those who want to dictate every aspect of your life based on the false idols of wokeness. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Former President Trump was banned. If he came back, ran for office again, and, and was elected president, would you allow him back on the platform? So the way our policies work, when you're removed from the platform, you're removed from the platform, whether you're a, a commentator, you're a CFO, or you are a former or current public official. And so remember, our policies are designed to make sure that uh, people are not inciting violence. And if anybody does that, we have to remove them from the service and our policies don't allow people to come back. The CFO of Twitter saying that even if Trump tried to run again for president, not not going to be back on Twitter. He's off Twitter forever. We have a former president of the United States who has some of the most powerful companies in the world actively working against so that he cannot share his message. And for the people who say, oh, they're private companies. Yeah. What about all the regulations on other companies? What about common carrier regulation? What about the phone lines? The Internet is how we communicate now. It's not okay for some individuals to control it. But if you're woke, you don't care that it's suppressing people. In fact, you like that it's suppressing people. You think it's great. This is how your side wins. This is how they won the election. The election was absolutely stacked in favor of Biden for a number of reasons. One of them is that you had social media companies actively collude to suppress information against their preferred candidate. I mean, they might as well have been getting a paycheck from the DNC with the Hunter Biden story. We all saw it. We all know it. This is what we are up against now. Yes, there's the election, which is certainly important and we we have lost and Joe Biden is now president. But there's also the control of institutions and how they're now forcing people. We often talk about the brainwashing and, and the way that there's this, this ideological pressure on people to conform. But it's more than that. It's financial pressure. It's, it's bringing professional pressure to bear. You know, you could, you could lose access to, the, to critical communication platforms. Maybe they decide that they're going to kick you off their banking service. Maybe you can't get a credit card anymore from a certain company if you speak out too much in the wrong way. And who decides what's wrong? Oh, these little these little quizzling fact checkers behind the scenes working in concert with the social media companies. All they're doing is laundering their censorship. That's all that is. But if you ask questions about this, they punish you just like they do in authoritarian regimes. I mean, the, the difference what you're seeing right now between how authoritarianism works in America versus how it's been in other places at other times is here. It's a kind of it's a soft authoritarianism in that all the inducements are, are for you to comply. Right now, it's, it's carrots, not really sticks. There are some sticks, but it's really mostly carrots. But that's powerful enough. But we're going to see that change over time because they're going to become 
convinced that they are the final arbiters of truth as they as they have been doing over the last year. You've seen this already with the covid lockdowns, with Joe Biden, with Donald Trump, with the biggest issues of public debate. They think they have a finality, uh, a finality when it comes to truth that is absurd. But this is what the left embraces. This is where they are. Here's another example of this. Uh, Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, not all that bright, but notice what happens when, when she's asked a question about trans girls competing in girls sports. Play three. On President Biden's transgender rights executive action, specifically when it applies to high school sports, mm-hmm. uh, what message would the White House have for trans girls and cis girls who may end up competing against each other and uh, in, in sparking some lawsuits and some concern uh, among parents? So does the administration have guidance for schools on dealing with disputes arising over trans girls competing against and with cis girls? I'm not sure what your question is. The president's executive order has... I'm familiar with the order, but what, what was your question about it? My question it? is, does the president have a message for local school officials on dealing with these kind of disputes that are already starting to arise? Between uh, you know, trans girls who are competing and cis girls and a level playing field, it's particularly in high school sports when it leads to college scholarships. Is there any kind of messaging or clarification that the White House wants to give on the executive order? I would just say that the president's belief is that uh, trans rights are human rights, and that's why he signed that executive order. Uh, And in terms of the determinations by universities and colleges, I would certainly defer to them. See that? Trans rights are human rights. Shut up with your question. Right from the White House. You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com. Well, everyone, everyone wants the kids back in school. The science says the kids should go back in school. All the, all the, all, everything says we should do that. Everyone wants kids back in school except the politicians and the teachers unions, right. which tells you everything. So this is, this is crazy. One day a week. Let's get them back five days a week. Let's have kids get back in school and learn the things that they're supposed to be learning. Um, I think, again, the American people see this as just craziness. Yes. Parents want their kids to get an education. They want them back in school. Let's make it happen. Let's stand up for the kids and the families of this country, not the politicians and the teachers union. I love watching the Democrats scurrying around here with this uh, with this problem. They, they don't know what to do. Oh, what are we going to do? Because people are figuring out what the heck is really happening. Jim Jordan, they're laying down the law, of course. Here's here's what's going on. People have figured out right the the uh, a, a public public opinion has shifted now where if you think that it is dangerous for children to be in school, you are ignorant. If you think that COVID-19 is a threat to K through 8 age children, you just don't know what you're talking about. And if you think that they put teachers at substantial risk of transmission from the kids, which is supposed to be the explanation for why the schools have to be shut down, you just haven't read about the subject. There's no there's no more debate. There's no more, you know, oh, but what about but what about no? Based on the information we have right now, and the information is clear, the data, as Fauci says, is clear. Schools should be open. And Democrats, if you recall, were all in on keeping on closing schools as much as they could back in the fall when it was 
most damaging for Trump's reelection chances, because how can you really feel like you're doing well against the virus and returning to normalcy with millions and millions of children around America not able to be in school? And we know that the Zoom school is is a joke, especially for the kids who really need school. For whom it provides structure and socialization and time with concerned adults looking out for their welfare and instructing them not just about the ABCs and, you know, basic algebra or whatever, but about what it means to be a productive person in America, what it means to be active in society and and contributing. Right? These are all things that come from being in school. Now, not entirely, of course, family is even more important, but these are things that are certainly helpful in that process. And they shut the schools down. They shut it down for political. They shut them down for political reasons. And let me let me say this. It's not even just the numbers. When, when I talk to you about how school shutdowns, the, the data is clear. We we did a a an experiment here because you have private and parochial schools in places like New York City that are open. They are open. They, they are. They have people going in, instructing children in person. Catholic schools have been doing this and they deserve a lot of credit, a lot of credit for putting education and the and the the needs and the and the benefits that would come for children above lazy, power hungry adults, because that's why the schools were closed. That's what the teachers unions represented. That's why the Democrats went all along with this. It hurt Trump. It added to the panic. The panic was being exploited by Democrats for the election. And oh, by the way, you think the teachers unions had any problem whatsoever with telling all their members, stay home, Zoom, Zoom, teach, get your full paycheck, full benefits, stay on your tenure track or whatever, you know, keep your tenure. You're good to go. You think you think they were worried about that? No. Teachers unions don't give a damn about your kids. That's what you've actually seen in in real time. Don't care. They do not care. And this has become a thankfully a political liability for Democrats, because remember, you have the data on children being fine overall in schools, not even just in America, all over the world. And you know, a, a young, healthy immune system kicks kicks covid's butt. Thank God, like it's nothing. If the kid even shows symptoms, it's like a sniffle. And yet they shut down the schools. We ran the experiment of having some schools open while the public schools, the government schools were closed. Who benefited in that? Yeah. And so now the Democrats have to deal with, oh, wait, you mean that people have figured out our game? So this is even more perfect because because they're just making it worse, really. And they're little they're little quizlings in the media, the little cowards carrying water for the Democrats all across the news media now. Even though their own constituents, you know, you, you think about the people that that read the New York Times in New York City, for example, people that read the Los Angeles Times or read the whatever the newspaper in Austin is. I have no idea. Uh, Austin City Ledger, maybe. Does that sound right? Something like that. Producer Mark, tell me what it is. But, you, you know, you, you read the Denver Post. I know we got a big audience out in Denver. Uh they put the interests of the National Democrat Party and Joe Biden ahead of the people that are keeping their publications afloat. Ahead of the people that are actually reading, you know, that are that are they're supposed to represent their interests against power. But that's actually not how journalism works today. It's all about supporting the National Party. It's all about doing your part for 
the Biden team, the Biden administration. They don't give a damn about you. They really don't. All these journalists, all this media stuff you're seeing. Um, So watch as they try to cover up for this, because they're saying, oh, Joe Biden with his, oh, we're going to 100 days, 100 days of masking. And then we're going to we're going to open up the schools. And when we open up the schools, it's going to be great. But they'll be like open once in a while. Wait, what? I thought we're opening them up. Oh, no. The Biden plan is not what's not what they're going to. They're going to tell you schools are open. And then what they're doing is they're playing with the definition of what open really means and how many of them will be open. Here is White House Press Secretary Saki Bomb. Play one. Oh, it's opening up schools swiftly and safely. Mm-hmm. Could you help us understand what the White House is or what the president's definition of open schools is? Does it mean teachers in classroom teaching students in classroom? Or does it just mean kids in classroom with a remote screen? Help us understand. Sure. His goal that he set is to have the majority of schools, so more than 50 percent, open uh, by day 100 uh, of his presidency. And that means uh, some teaching in classrooms. So at least one day a week, hopefully it's more. And obviously it is as much as is safe in each school and local district. When you say some teaching, that's the, you didn't use the same majority qualifier there. You just have to have some teaching in school, some teachers in school, not the majority of teachers in school and the majority of classrooms. Well, teaching at least one day a week um, in the majority of schools by day 100. Okay, and that's in-person teaching. In-person teaching, yes. One day a week, friends. They're, they're setting the definition for you right now. They're setting the groundwork for this so that they can get away with this later. One day a week of in-person instruction. And that counts, understand, that counts as school being open. Oh, okay. And this reporter did ask some questions because I will say there are some, you know, we have to refer to journalists in very broad terms. There are some journalists out there who are starting to realize as child depression and even attempted suicide and suicide is going up and up and up and children, particularly lower low income family and, and minority uh, children are the ones who are suffering the most from this. As all that's happening, as, as the data is just getting it's so obvious now they can't they can't get away with lying about it the same way. So what they're going to do is now lie about how they agree and they're dealing with it, but they're not really going to deal with it. They're not really going to deal with it because here's another problem. And this is this is the the contrarian logic of the lockdowners at work. If they open schools in April. First off, that means that they're only going to be open for two months before the school year technically ends. But if they open schools in April, you will say, well, hold on. There's still covid out there. Why weren't we able to have the schools open sooner than that? On what basis? And you might ask the question, point to where there was a real risk for children even 12 months ago in the schools. Show me one data set that leads to a a reasonable conclusion that schools should be closed. They can't. They can't. The schools will start to open and everything will be fine. They have to draw it out, though, and do it very slowly to make it seem like, oh, but we're just being cautious, you see. We're just being careful. Hmm. Yeah, they're lying to you. One day a week of instruction. 
How many teachers are even going to show up? That journalist asked the question because there are some journos have their kids in public schools. I know this. And some of them, you know, not the fancy CNN anchors. Their children go to, you know, forty, fifty thousand dollars a year private school for for first grade. But uh, some journos have their kids in places where they they have been doing Zoom school and they understand that this is nonsense. And so they're asking questions like, what does in-person instruction even mean? One day a week, are all the teachers going to be going in? Or most of the teachers going to be going in? Or here's what I foresee. This is really what I'm getting to. You will have schools where the children are showing up on a rotational basis for one day a week of in-person instruction, and it will be like a giant study hall session where if they can, they'll put them all, you know, they'll, they'll set them up with Zoom at their at a, at a desk, socially distanced with a mask on like they're in some kind of a science experiment. And there'll be a handful of teachers, triple masked, standing in the front of the room saying, all right, everybody sit there, watch your Zoom. They're not really going to open schools one day a week. On, on what basis? The, the one day a week is the same mentality as wear four masks. Because, well, of course, anything we can do to help and one day a week means, sure, you're going to have less risk. But isn't five days a week of in-person instruction totally acceptable risk? Isn't one mask or dare I say no mask acceptable risk as well for a vast majority of people? Well, these are the questions that they don't want to answer because there is some fear. I don't think it's nearly as much fear as it should be. There is some fear among the lockdowners that the American people will wake up and realize they've been lied to and this is a scam and the people in charge who are saying shut up were the experts were wrong and wrong and wrong again. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Impeachment continuing on today with this trial. I think it's the whole thing a waste of of everyone's time i even wondered maybe the best thing to do would have been for the president of the united states to i'm sorry the former president of the united states to not even present a defense at all just let them try him in absentia just let them do what they're doing and leave it to the uh, republicans in the senate to make up their own minds uh, yes, it is true. I, I watched the the first of the two uh, lawyers presenting Trump's defense. It, it did seem a bit like I'm just going to be honest with you. It seemed a bit like, you know, Trump had passed a billboard on the highway with, you know, are you injured? Question mark and called the number and said, hey, want to present my defense in the United States Congress? For that? That's about the quality of the first attorney showing the second attorney who spoke on the president's behalf was was much stronger, much more effective. The first one was not good, uh, did not do a competent job. But there speaking of shown there, there was a I think the, the point that hasn't gotten enough attention that he made very well with a, a montage was that somehow they're impeaching this president, former president, after he leaves office. And they want us to believe that it's because that's what judgment requires. But they've been trying to impeach him for four years and saying they were going to. I'm not I'm not exaggerating this. I'm not making this up. I'm not pulling this out of thin air. They've been saying they were going to impeach him for for four years. And that's very clear by this montage. A lot of what what David shown Trump's attorney plays here comes from 2017. It's 2021, as you know. 
And you had Democrats, in some cases, the same Democrats today who are saying, well, now we really have to impeach him. We're saying it in 2017. They impeached him a year ago on some nonsense. Remember Lieutenant Colonel Vindman? Oh, yes, the great hero of our republic. Oh, yeah, that guy was really doing a great job. Give me a break. This was the single, I think, the single most effective moment in many ways of the Trump defense presentation uh, yesterday. Here it is. Play two. Donald Trump has already done a number of things which legitimately raised the question of impeachment. I don't respect this president, and I will fight every day until he is impeached. That is grounds to start impeachment proceedings. Those are grounds to start impeachment. Those are grounds to start impeachment proceedings. Yes, I think that's grounds to start impeachment proceedings. I rise today, Mr. Speaker, to call for the impeachment of the president of the United States of America. I continue to say, impeach him! Impeach 45! Impeach 45! So we're calling upon the House to begin impeachment hearings immediately. On the impeachment of Donald Trump, would you vote yes or no? I would vote yes. I would vote. I would vote too much. Because we're going to go in there, we're going to impeach the mother... Uh, but the fact is, I introduced articles of impeachment in July of 2017. We don't impeach this president. He will get reelected. My oath requires me to be for impeachment, have an impeachment hearing, and he's the scarlet eye on his chest. The representatives should begin impeachment proceedings against this president. It is time to bring impeachment charges against him. Bring impeachment charges. My personal view is that uh, he richly deserves impeachment. I'm here at an impeachment rally. That was from before the Capitol Hill riot. That was from before the 2020 election. That was right after the 2016 election. And they have they have a a fair mind when it comes to this president. Now they're they're giving him a I keep saying president. I'm sorry. Ex-president. They have a a fair mind when it comes to their judgment about Donald Trump. Really? Who, Who could actually believe that? Who could think that these are are people who could be uh, trusted? I understand that this is not a, a criminal trial, so they're not actually going through jury selection. But if you were, if we want to look at a, at a framework for understanding this, if, if they were going to be jurors on a trial, you'd say you can't have these people. They wanted to convict the defendant from before the crime in question, and they were trying to. They brought false charges against him before of corruption. Right. Of, of inducement to election interference. What? Election interference by talking to the president of Ukraine about Hunter Biden and nothing happened. That's what they said. Trump derangement syndrome is not gone. They're just finding new targets for their mania. But first, they're going to get one last good shot in on the former president. That's what this is all about. This is Buck's First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Emotional appeal is at the center of Democrat ideology, of wokeness, of the left's approach to pretty much everything. And that's why emotional manipulation is so critical to their politics, the way that they will reach out to the public, the way that they'll try to convince you of the rightness of their argument is rooted in emotional appeal, much more so than reason. And that's why, for example, during the COVID-19 crisis, 
exaggerating the risk to people. And, and I'm not I'm not assuming that people had some exaggerated risk in their minds. Uh, people under 50, based on the polling, were 30 to 40 times, something like that, more afraid. They, they thought they had a 30 to 40 times higher chance of dying from COVID than they actually did by the numbers. That's not an accident. It's because you get people terrified, and that's what the media did. They terrified everybody. And then you tell them that you'll provide them safety. Oh, and anyone who's telling them not to be terrified is going to hurt their safety. And look at that. You have control. You have control. We've seen them use this playbook with with real expertise, unfortunately, under the COVID-19 pandemic. I still believe to this day that Donald Trump, were it not for COVID and the the unfair weaponization of COVID through media dishonesty against Donald Trump, meaning that Trump was the cause of COVID. He's the reason for all these people dying. I think he would have won re-election. But, you know, you, you go to army with the oh, good army, go to war with the army you have. You know, you play poker with the cards in your hand and you go into an election with the world in the state that it's in. And there's there's no way around that. Um, but but they are not making an argument uh, on they have not been making an argument based on the facts with COVID. They've really been making it uh, based on fear and exaggerating to the general public what the risks are and then seizing control as a result of that. OK, I'll do I'll do anything if you, if you make me safe. I mean, how many of us I, I've had this experience. You go into a doctor's office. You've had a you've had a, a really bad uh, problem that's been really just just been nagging at you for a while, whatever it may be. You know, you got you know, you got knee pain or something. You go in there, you say, Doc, I'll do anything you say. Just make it stop. Right. I've, I've been there. I, I get it. Unfortunately, sometimes the doc can't really do anything. But, you know, Doc, I'll do anything you say. I, I just need the pain to stop. That's what they that's what they effectively did. That's what the left did to the American people with covid. OK, uh, we're so terrified. Please just and anything to keep us safe. And they're using a a similar tactics of, of fear when it comes to this impeachment. Now, it's not going to work. They're not going to get Republicans to go along with this. It, it would be Democrats are inviting the GOP to create its its own to cause its own implosion. That's really what's going on here. That's really the decision making. This is why they've got to they got to up the up the ante on the emotions. They got to take it to hold. The, they're trying to obscure the real intent here, which is effectively the destruction of the Republican Party. They're they're trying to induce us to do this. And if we're looking for a, a teary eyed appeal, I guess you can't. Well, there are actually a few. There was Raskin yesterday. But here's Mika Brzezinski trying to manipulate the whole country's emotions on national TV. Play four. But they came because of Trump and everybody knows it. Move on, they say. Everybody knows Give them a mulligan, why they say. these people were there desecrating the people's house, ruining things, hurting people, murdering people, maiming people and using the American flag as a weapon. They were doing it for Trump. And the frustrating thing here is that this has to be explained explicitly to Republicans and they turn away. They can't make this math themselves. Yeah, it's not stupidity. I'm sorry. It's something way worse. This is evil. If you can't see what happened here, look in the mirror because there's a big problem with your moral core and you're not a patriot if you can't see what happened here. 
and stand on the right side of history. Notice the the emotional appeal and also the conflation of two things. And this is at the center of the actual argument. This is at the center of whether or not they should hold Donald Trump accountable for what happened at Capitol Hill. Uh, She's acting like people who don't believe that that Trump is the cause or rather ordered the insurrection. um, Which was really a riot, not an insurrection. But that that Trump was was the 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 person who gave, you know, did he order the code red? Essentially, is what we're trying to do. You know, did Trump order the code red? Borrow from Colonel Nathan R. Jessup, United States Marine Corps, Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. And the answer is Trump did not. In fact, you know, he's he's saying you're gosh darn right. I didn't. He did not order the code red. He said, have your voices be peacefully heard. But what they're doing is suggesting that people. If you don't think that Trump is responsible for this, you don't condemn this. And that's false. That's false. And I will say that it was uh, an unsettling couple of days after the Capitol Hill riot where I had people, including some who have followed my work for a long time, including some conservatives in media, a handful of them who publicly a couple of times, but also in private were, why are you coming down so hard on the on the rioters? Because I saw it for what it was right away, and it wasn't hard to. This is, this is, it was, the whole thing was awful. It was wrong and dumb, but some people didn't really understand that that full scope, and I think they have since learned the error of their ways. But overwhelmingly, I mean, ninety nine point nine percent of of people that I know and and talked to about this were immediately horrified. And we knew exactly what was going to happen. That riot, I went. On, I remember uh, I went on Tucker Carlson's show on January 6th that night. You go back and see it. I said, this is terrible, and it's going to be used as a battering ram against conservatism, against your liberties, against your constitutional rights, against your freedom as an American. It's going to be used to oppress you now. And I'm sorry that the people who were involved in the actual riot were so reckless and and so foolish that they couldn't see that. But it's a different thing to say the riot was awful and dumb, which I have said from the beginning and do every day. And it's even we get into this thing where we have to keep, you know, we have to keep saying, oh, you know, I condemn, I condemn, I condemn. You know, we're we're always having to do this preamble because if you don't, then you get it. Then you get pulled off air. Then you get attacked. Then you're kicked off of social media. Oh, he. He's he's only condemned it 100 times, but then he talked about it and didn't condemn it enough. So let's go and get him. This is the game that they play. This is how the authoritarian left conducts itself. But Mika Brzezinski is a perfect example of this. If you don't if you don't condemn the riot, comma, I'm sorry, the insurrection is what she would say. Right. But if you don't condemn the riot, comma, by blaming Trump for it as the causative factor as directly responsible it they are treating this as if trump yelled over a loudspeaker go desecrate the capitol that's what they are doing they're acting like that's what happened here and that is not true and it matters that that is not true he said go have your voices be peacefully heard i am very uh frustrated with the way that trump handled the post-election period And that doesn't mean that I don't think that there were stuff to look into the election. I did. I still do. I still do want to look at some 
of the outstanding questions from the election. If nothing else to to allay any fears to, to finally put away. OK, well, we 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 got an answer to that question. You know, I mean, I, I spoke to a very high level person at the DOJ about remember the suitcases under the desk in Atlanta. And the person told me we looked at it the highest level. It, it wasn't there was nothing illicit there. Nothing happened. And it's somebody who's a Trump supporter who I trust. So, you know, we, we were told things that weren't that weren't always accurate. It was a very emotional, intense time. But we have to maintain some objective, rational reality here. And acting like president, they are making the charge. They're making a very specific allegation here that President Trump said, go do this thing. And he did not say that. They can cry as Raskin did yesterday and Mika's doing and others. They they can talk about how much they love the Constitution. They love America and all this stuff. Uh, While, of course, they're throwing our borders wide open and, you know, arguing that you shouldn't be able to go to church. The First Amendment doesn't really apply because of covid and, you know, all all the the Green New Deal's insanity, all the stuff they're doing. Oh, yeah, but they love America so much. Sure. They love the land of freedom. Yeah, I believe that one. Um, But at the end of the day, they cannot change the critical central fact here, which is what all this really turns on. Donald Trump did not tell an angry mob to go to go storm the Capitol. He did not do it. And this this reminds me a little bit of the incident with John Adams, the very famous incident with the British soldiers where, you know, American public opinion was not with those soldiers, obviously not with those redcoats. But there was a mob attacked the redcoats, the redcoats defended themselves. And that is, you know, that is a not even just a common law. That is a natural law. That is a moral law. You have the right to defend yourself. And as we know, Adams got those redcoats the acquittal. And that was the right move because under the law at the time they were right. And under the law at any time, you'd be right to defend yourself against a violent mob. And now we have a situation where it all turns on the question of did Donald Trump order the riot to happen? We all know the answer is no, he did not order the riot to happen and his rhetoric and his tone and what he said in the months before and all of that can't cannot be used in place of this simple truth that that is not the same thing that does not make the statement true that Donald Trump ordered the riot. He did not. And they can keep trying and, and they're going to pound this all throughout the trial. At the end of the day, he did not give the order. He did not tell them to do this. And therefore, it would be wrong to hold him responsible for something that he did not do.